Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Friends, our gospel lesson this morning in the sermon text comes from the gospel of Luke. We're going to take a look at the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 21. So again, this is the gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Speak to God. Well, friends, if I may. Kind of where we have been so far this month. The first Sunday of this year, you and I got together, we discussed the wise men and our modern misunderstandings of their story, but specifically about our need to understand the truths as contained in Scripture over and above what we may want to believe or what we've been told to believe. We talked about how the wise men modeled for us what it looks like to worship and that each that we need to give up or let go of before, during, and after worship. That coming to church and coming to worship are two different things. And the difference has to do with our hearts and our motivations. And that worship should not be reserved for simply an hour or so on Sunday. We'll speak a little more about worship here in a minute. And then you and I got together and we had a discussion about water baptism and spirit baptism. And part of that was for us to recognize that water baptisms are powerful and important. We baptized young James just last week. But our water baptisms cannot be the end of our walk with Christ. We have to open ourselves up to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That moment where we can definitively claim for ourselves that Jesus is our Lord, Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is our hope, and Jesus is our life. 
where we slowly but assuredly make more and more of every part of our lives open to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, allowing ourselves to be strengthened and strengthened into the people God wants us to be. And most certainly that is done when you and I take time out of each and every day to worship and connect with God. And then just last week, you and I got together, we talked about whether or not we, on this Christian journey, want to be tourists or we want to be pilgrims. You and I can set aside times each and every day to worship. We can set aside times each and every day to try to connect with the power of the Holy Spirit. But we cannot be thrown off of our path at the first sign of difficulty, trial, or trouble. Because tourists only pop in when things are good, when things are great to see and be seen, and then, well, they pop off to the next thing at the first moment of difficulty. But as pilgrims, we talked about our need for a long obedience in the same direction, meaning simply that things for us as Christ followers are not always going to be rainbows, sunshine, and unicorns. We have to press on. Eyes set firmly on Jesus, one step in front of the other. Because God knows we're not perfect. God knows we don't have it all together. Just like those stone jars that Jesus used to turn water into wine, friends, we are chipped, and we are cracked, and we are dirty. And yet God still chooses to sit beside us and use us and bring blessings through us. And all of these things sound great on Sunday, don't they? But as you and I talked about a few months ago, Monday always seems to show up, doesn't it? Monday's always coming. In fact, I've not had a week yet where Sunday was not followed by Monday, have you? And on Monday, we get up, we get dressed, and we head out into the world. And what is waiting for us out there? Discontent. I exchanged a few emails with one of you this week that hit the nail right on the head that we as a culture, as a community, are currently in a season of discontent. We are dissatisfied with any number of things at any number of times during any particular day. We are tired of the constant presence of COVID, its variants, vaccines, and boosters, and masks. We are disappointed by the leadership of all levels of government. We look at our culture. We can't believe what passes for popular and what behaviors are lifted up as okay. Goods and services cost more. Things are unavailable at the grocery store. Every day is something else, one thing after another. Carolina was preseason top ten in football. They limped to a six and seven finish. Basketball team isn't much better. We are tired, frustrated, grumpy, and irritable. And our friends and family? Tired, frustrated, grumpy, and irritable. Maybe not all the time, but enough of the time. Anybody in here feel that way? Don't raise your hand. Art. And I can preach up here each week about spiritual disciplines and the things we ought to be engaged in, about the power of the cross, the goodness of God, the strength that he provides... But how does that work in periods or seasons of discontent? What are we supposed to do? 
You tell us, preacher, that we should worship every day and be in communion with the Holy Spirit every day and be on this path of long obedience in the same direction, whatever that means, every day. But what am I supposed to do when I feel this discontent? We talked last week about reading the Psalms of Ascent, didn't we? Over the next couple of weeks. Start at Psalm 120, read all the way to Psalm 134. And I hope you found time to do it and that it's been beneficial. But regardless of if you have or not, I could not help but read this week's gospel lesson and see it as Professor Jesus teaching us all a master's level class on what we need to get through any season, any time, of discontent because friends what it really boils down to is less about what we do and more about understanding as my mama would often tell me who we are and whose we are first friends we are a people made to be in worship if you look in the first verse that we read this morning it says and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. As was his custom. Meaning what? He did it regularly. If it was the Sabbath, you're going to find Jesus in the synagogue. Jesus is going to be at worship. And have you ever wondered what went on in there? I thought about it this week. And here's what I found out in one of my commentaries. It says that a synagogue service began with a recitation of the Shema, which we've talked about before in here. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. The speaker for the day then led the congregation in prayer as they stood facing Jerusalem with hands extended. At the close of the prayer, the people said, Amen. Before the service, the leader of the synagogue would have taken from the Torah ark the scrolls containing the lesson for the day and placed them on the lectern. The chosen speaker stood and read the lesson from the law of Moses. Then the passage from the prophets was read. For the commentary or sermon, the speaker usually sat down. After the sermon, if there was a priest, there was a benediction. If no priest, then a closing prayer was offered. Is that much different than what we engage in here? Or any Christian church you've ever been to or been a part of? I think part of the reason we go through these moments or seasons of discontent is that corporate worship doesn't hold a primary place in our lives. The pandemic is a great example. We had to go without corporate worship for quite some time, some churches longer than others. And I realize that we had and still have online worship, and I'm not minimizing their impact or potential. I'm thankful we can offer online worship for those that can't gather in person, whether it be because of circumstance or geography or personal preference. And if you're watching us online, please know that you are a valued and blessed part of this worshiping community. But there's just something different about gathering in person. When we don't have it, part of us is missing. And when part of us is missing, we feel incomplete. And this feeling of being incomplete leads us to try to find other things to fill that void. And we find that those other things don't work. That leads to discontent because we find out there is not a single thing in this world that can fill our emptiness like corporate worship. Yeah, we can try to fill that space with other things, but friends, they will never, ever satisfy you. The first line of Psalm 122 says, When they said, Let's go to the house of God, my heart leapt for joy. 
is yours. Eugene Peterson in the book I referenced last week says we need worship for three reasons. One, it gives us a workable structure for life. Second, it nurtures our need to be in relationship with God. And three, it centers our attention on the decisions of God. And he writes this, he says, As I entered a home to make a pastoral visit, the person I came to see was sitting at a window embroidering a piece of cloth held taut on an oval loop. She said, Pastor, while waiting for you to come, I realize what's wrong with me. I don't have a frame. My feelings, my thoughts, my activities, everything is loose and sloppy. There is no border to my life. I never know where I am. I need a frame for my life like this one I have for my embroidery. Friends, worship is where we get that frame. Worship is where we get that solid sense of structure to know where we stand, allowing us to do our work easily and without anxiety. We were made to worship. And if we want to be more like Jesus, to find a little more contentment in our lives, to find our tanks refilled every week so we can face the week ahead, then friends, corporate worship has got to be a custom for us, not just a convenience for us. So yes, we are a people made to worship, but what else? Jesus is the reader in the synagogue, and he is handed the scroll containing the writings of the prophet Isaiah. He's reading from chapter 61. And he says that the one anointed by God will proclaim good news to the poor, will proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. And that should be good news to all of us. Yes, we are people who are made to worship, but you know what else? We also are poor. We are captives. We are blind. We are poor. We are captives. We are blind. We read these things in Scripture. We think that all the people we read about suffer from these conditions are those that we simply read about. We equate being poor with money. And so we picture the beggars that we read about. We equate captivity to slavery and physical oppression, so we picture folks in chains or under the boot of Roman authority. We equate blindness with the inability to see light and shapes, and we picture the blind man that Jesus healed with some dirt and his own spit. But friend, the poor, the captive, and the blind sit in this sanctuary this morning and are watching us online as well. That word poor or its synonyms poverty, broke, or impoverished simply means, friends, to be lacking in something or less than adequate. And who in here this morning can honestly say that there is not something about their relationship with God that is lacking, that you need? Who in here this morning can honestly say that there is not something they need to improve on? Part of our poverty comes from still being held captive by sin. And I don't mean necessarily the committing of sin, although that is certainly part of it, but the memory of past sins. The haunting reminders of mistakes we've made, wrong paths we've taken, things we've done that we just can't come to terms with or forgive ourselves for. Angers or resentments of what others may have done to us that we just can't let go of. And if we say that we don't suffer from poverty or captivity, maybe that's because we are blind to the realities of our life. 
Maybe we can't see those things that are causing us separation in our relationship with God. Or maybe we are willfully blind. Determined to keep some things we know we need to let go of, keeping those things in the dark, not willing them to see light. At the end of the day, friends, the poor are those who have no grace and lack union with God. The blind are those who have not seen the light. The captives are those who are not yet free from sin. And that's you and that's me. And that's who we are. People to be made, or people made to be in worship, but also people who are poor, captive, and blind. You're probably thinking, well, wow, Pastor Mark, this ain't doing a whole lot for my feelings of discontent. But friends, it's only when we can recognize who we are that we can appreciate whose we are. Only when we can recognize our own poverty, our own bondage, our own blindness, the things that bring discontentment, can we be fully reclaimed, restored, and reborn by Jesus. And here's how. The next line that Jesus reads this morning is, that the one anointed by God has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what that means? He's speaking of the old Mosaic celebration called Jubilee. It's in Leviticus 25. In ancient Judaism, every 50th year was set aside to be a special year of grace and restoration. All debts were forgiven, forgotten, and considered to be paid in full. All family inheritances, which had over the pressures of time been separated, were restored to their original owners. Anyone who had lost their liberty in any respect was restored to freedom. The principle here was to keep families intact. It allowed for a fresh start, a chance to live a new life without any burdens holding you down or back. It was all about restoration of the family, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. When Jesus ends our scripture this morning saying, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, what he is saying is that he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah that has come to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and that friends in him, he is jubilee. Jesus is our jubilee. Jesus is offering to us total cancellation of spiritual debt, total release of these sins and thoughts that hold us captive, total sight to those that come to see him as their savior should you simply respond to his message. Think about what this means for us. Whatever it is you think you lack in your relationship with God, Jesus satisfies it right where you are right now. Whatever you feel is holding you down or holding you back that you can't forgive or forget, Jesus frees you from that right where you are right now. Whatever you are ashamed of and want to keep in the dark, Jesus says, shine a light on it, see it, and then give it to me. Whatever it is, right where you are right now. Jesus, as our jubilee, is about restoring you and keeping the Father's family intact. In and through believing in Jesus, friends, you are made rich, free, and alive. So whatever it is that bugs us, bothers us, disturbs us, or irritates us, whatever that is, pales in comparison 
to the fact that the one that made the universe took on flesh, walked into the synagogue, as was his custom, and proclaimed that in him we all find our own jubilee. And then this same one walked all over Judea preaching and teaching and modeling for us what is really important and how it is we should live our lives. And this same one walked in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed and allowed himself to be taken in by those who hated him simply to right the wrongs committed in the Garden of Eden. And this same one walked into places of power in Jerusalem and submitted to a sham trial and torture. And this same one, friends, walked with a wooden beam across his shoulders up the hill called Golgotha, dying the death you and I deserve so that those that believe in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because of who we are and whose we are. And friends, there is great contentment in that. So you see, the choice really is up to us. We can allow ourselves to turn our sights inward and lament and complain and allow feelings of discontent to take over our lives, or we can turn our eyes upon Jesus. We can worship, corporately and individually, the one who promises and delivers to us by faith in him good news, freedom, grace, mercy, love, joy, and in addition to all of this, hope. Let today be the day that you choose Jesus as Lord because, friends, there is an alternative. Let me mention this just real quick in closing. When Jesus reads a little bit of the scroll, when he gets to the end we read about, it says he rolled it up and gave it to his attendant. But here's what you got to know. Jesus didn't read the whole verse. Again, he's in Isaiah chapter 61 reading verses 1 and 2. But there's more in that verse that Jesus did not read. Jesus stops at to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, but that verse continues. And the rest of the verse says this, and the day of vengeance of our God. That full verse tells us the anointed one came to proclaim two things. Yeah, jubilee, and also the day of vengeance of our God, or Jesus' second coming. Why did Jesus stop? Why did he roll up the scroll in the middle of that verse and hand it to the attendant? Well, because, friends, that day was not being fulfilled right then. But it will be. Thank you. Did you read this before? It's for right. It will be. It will be. We've been given the gift of the present, friends, to come to an abiding faith and make a decision for Christ. You and I have one job. And I've said it before from up here. Our one job is to make heaven as crowded as we can. And the only way we can do that is by living lives that proclaim the glory and love of God, not the discontent of the world. Poor. Captive? Blind? Yes, I am. Made rich and set free by the risen living Lord? Absolutely. Made to worship Him? You better believe it. How about you? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.